It's official. Xfinity has increased internet speeds again, and they deliver the fastest mobile service with 5G and millions of Wi-Fi hotspots. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Anya, and you're listening to WET. Welcome back to season two of my dad's favorite pop marine science podcast. I'm your host, Anya Steiner, and for our season two premiere, I'll be introducing you to one of my favorite marine dwelling species. It's brown, it's slimy, and it can grow up to 10 inches a day. Yep, that's right, it's giant kelp. Marine algae doesn't really have the same level of clout as some of the ocean's more iconic fauna, you know the ones, but I'm here to argue that kelp is pretty cool too, and saving it is in our best interest. So. By the end of this episode, hopefully you'll understand why I think you should help kelp. Giant kelp, or macrocystis if you want to call it by its scientific name, is undoubtedly one of the most recognizable species of marine algae on the Pacific coast. It ranges all the way from San Mateo, California to Baja, California in Mexico as well as throughout the temperate coasts along British Columbia, Alaska, New Zealand, and Australia. Chances are, if you live in any of these areas, you've seen it washed up on local beaches. Its brownish gold coloring and slimy structures make giant kelp an iconic component of California's nearshore waters. And although it might be tempting to call this amber macroalgae a plant, I'm here to tell you that giant kelp is not technically a plant. All kelps, actually, and algae, belong to a different kingdom of life than plants and are thus called protists. But many of the structures that make up giant kelp play roles synonymous to structures found in land plants. So to better understand what we're dealing with here, let's talk a little bit about the components that make up giant kelp. Giant kelp essentially has three main structures, a holdfast, a stipe, and blades. The kelp's holdfast plays the equivalent role of roots in terrestrial plants. The holdfast is a network of thick brown strands that grip onto a rocky surface on the ocean floor, anchoring the giant kelp in place. Then there's the stipe, which is comparable to a land plant's stem. Similar to the holdfast, the stipe is a golden brown strand, but unlike the holdfast, which is solid all the way through, the stipe is hollow on the inside, like a tube. This allows the stipe to be tough yet flexible, which lets the kelp bend at the will of the surrounding ocean currents as it grows towards the surface. Lastly, there are the blades, which serve the same purpose as a land plant's leaves. Giant kelp's blades are thin and textured, with gas-filled bladders at the base to keep them lifted towards the water's surface where there is more light. There, they perform photosynthesis, converting light energy into chemical energy, which helps the giant kelp grow. Together, these three main components make up giant kelp. Giant kelp stands out among other marine algae not only because of its iconic look, but also its ability to grow. Some giant kelp individuals grow to be up to 175 feet tall and create dense canopies at the ocean surface like are often seen in Monterey Bay. But it doesn't just grow tall, as giant kelp also grows really, really fast. 
Like I mentioned earlier, giant kelp is known to grow on average between 10 to 12 inches a day. But under the most ideal circumstances, giant kelp growth has been documented at two feet a day. That's two whole ruler sticks. That's two whole $5 foot lungs from Subway and just in a day. Crazy. Scientists often compare these fast growing kelp beds to terrestrial forests due to the large amounts of carbon dioxide kelp forests sequester. And they do this simply by growing. During photosynthesis, which giant kelp does to grow, giant kelp absorbs carbon dioxide. Individual giant kelps live about seven years on average. So for seven years, each individual continues to perform photosynthesis and take carbon dioxide out of the water. Then when the giant kelp eventually dies or is ripped off the seafloor and drifts away from the coast and out to sea where it will inevitably sink and stay, all of the carbon dioxide that the giant kelp has absorbed during photosynthesis is now sequestered in the deep sea. And before that even happens, giant kelp actually lowers the acidity of the surrounding water by taking up carbon dioxide. This makes the surrounding waters more tolerable for marine life. So just by existing and growing, giant kelp plays an important role in buffering the negative effects of climate change in marine ecosystems. And on top of all of that, Giant kelp also offers protection from coastal erosion by reducing the impact of waves on the shore. Surely you're starting to see why giant kelp is so cool. Alright, now that we're warmed up with the basics about giant kelp, what it looks like and how it grows, it's time to go on a deep dive. If you can, take a moment to close your eyes. Imagine you're sitting on the seafloor. All around you, giant kelp is anchored to the rocky substrate and stretching straight up to the surface. As you feel the pulse of the ocean, the amber stem-like stipes bend at the will of the surrounding currents. Many of these stipes reach taller than the Colosseum in Rome, and the shiny blades glint in the sunlight. Resting beside you on the seafloor are sea stars, nudibranchs, urchins, and more. Navigating through the water are fish of all shapes, sizes, and species, using the area as a hunting ground. In the canopy at the surface, all sorts of marine organisms, from sea otters and sea lions to fish and sharks, use intertwining blades as a nursery for their young. You're in the epicenter of a biodiverse underwater oasis filled with life and color. If you haven't already, open your eyes. The place that we just visited is called a kelp forest, and much like terrestrial forests, kelp forests provide food, shelter, and suitable habitats for other animals. Because the presence of giant kelp makes the ocean more habitable for other creatures, scientists have dubbed giant kelp a foundation species. In fact, kelp forests are one of the most biodiverse communities in the ocean. Giant kelp provides home to thousands of fish, invertebrate, and marine mammal species. Moreover, many of the fish found in kelp forests are important to commercial fishermen. Rockfish especially provide income and livelihoods to many anglers and rely on kelp forests for a home. By protecting giant kelp, we ensure that all of the animals that live in kelp forests continue to have a home and that all of the people that rely on these animals continue to have a livelihood. Win-win! A 
Aside from creating a habitable ocean for all sorts of marine animals and supporting commercial fishermen, giant kelp also contributes to our human livelihoods on a day-to-day -day basis. Before I give away the many ways you encounter giant kelp every day, even if you aren't a marine scientist, I have to explain something else cool about giant kelp. Well, all kelps and seaweeds, actually. Kelps and seaweeds contain polysaccharides, called phycocolloids, in their cell walls. Phycocolloids are large sugar rings that connect to hydrogen and oxygen. If you're thinking H2O, aka water, you're on the right track. On a microscopic level, these connections form particular shapes that result in a gel-like viscous solution at our level. In nature, phycocolloids function to keep kelps goopy so that they are flexible and durable enough to withstand ocean currents and so that they don't dry out at low tide. The cell walls of giant kelp have the brown algae variation of phycocolloids called algin. This incredible little molecule is what connects giant kelp to our everyday lives. Remember how giant kelp can grow up to 10 inches a day or two feet a day even in the right circumstances? Well, because giant kelp grows so fast, algin is readily available, which makes algin industry's number one choice of phycocolloid. This began in San Diego with the Kelco Company in 1929. The Kelco Company began harvesting giant kelp right off of Point Loma and La Jolla. Scientists then extract algin from the cell walls of giant kelp and use it as an emulsifier for industrial and household products. Algin thus became a key component in items like toothpaste, cosmetics, paint, ice cream, cream cheese, shampoos, pharmaceuticals, beer, and salad dressing. Whew. Oh, and peanut butter. That's an important one. Algin's incredible ability of making cheese spreadable and bread have a longer shelf life made it a staple in the kitchens of Kraft, Unilever, Betty Crocker, and Sara Lee, which cemented Algin, ergo giant kelp, its place in the post-war American processed food diet that we all know and look back on shuddering. I mean, seriously, what was up with all those gelatin salads? Anyways, Giant kelp is still commonly used today in all of the products I mentioned, meaning in one way or another, giant kelp is part of your everyday life. I mean, at least it better be considering that it's used in toothpaste. So by now, I think you'll all agree that giant kelp is pretty cool. It grows insanely fast, it has useful properties, and it makes our coastal oceans habitable for thousands of ocean creatures. But giant kelp forests are also the stage for a real-life drama, where two kelp forest residents must strike a precarious balance to maintain the existence of the entire kelp forest and all of its inhabitants. What does that mean? Well, let's start by zooming in on the seafloor in a kelp forest. On the seafloor live seafloor-dwelling invertebrates. Invertebrates are organisms without a backbone, so think marine worms, scud, prawns, snails, brittle stars, that sort of thing. To them, giant kelp is the coup de la gras of seafood and their primary food source. So, to curb their hunger, these inverts spend their days munching on dead pieces of kelp that sink to the seafloor, and when predators are scarce, some even dare to come out of hiding to munch on the giant kelp's holdfasts. Scientists have documented over 175 species seeking refuge on and in the holdfasts of giant kelp. But of all of the herbivores, none is more voracious than the sea urchin. 
Yes, you heard me right. Those slow moving spiky purple balls on the seafloor actually play a huge role in the existence of kelp forests. Sea urchins are giant kelp's deadliest predator and can actually obliterate entire kelp forests. When conditions are right, and lately they often are, hordes of urchins have the potential to demolish an entire kelp forest by eating all the kelp, thus sending the thousands of other creatures that rely on giant kelp searching for a new home. When urchin populations become too big, we get a negative feedback loop. Urchins overgraze, so there's less kelp, but then there's more urchins, and then because there's more urchins, there's more overgrazing, and the situation gets worse and worse until all the kelp is gone, and only urchins can live in what was once an underwater biodiversity hotspot. And to make things worse, urchins can slow down their metabolism an astonishing amount. I mean, so much so that they're practically zombies. This means that the area stays occupied by sea urchins, even when everything else is gone, because the urchins simply won't die. This makes it nearly impossible for kelp to get reestablished because there are always urchins around to munch on any new recruits. Those kelpless wastelands where only urchins can live are called urchin barrens. And at this rate, it seems like we should have all urchin barrens and no kelp forests, right? So how come we still have kelp forests? Well, kelp forests depend on another one of its residents to keep sea urchin populations at bay. That creature is the sea otter, which is often nicknamed the guardian of the kelp. While urchins live on the sea floor, sea otters live in a different part of the kelp forest called the kelp canopy, which sits at the surface of the water. Sea otters take residency in the kelp canopy both for the fine dining beneath the sea and the protection giant kelp offers them. Sea otters are known to wrap themselves and their young in kelp so that they don't drift away while sleeping. Mama otters also use this strategy while they hunt so they don't have to worry about their babies drifting off. This makes kelp forests a perfect home for sea otters. And because sea otters dine on seafloor dwelling invertebrates, when they hunt in a kelp forest, sea otters bring back resident kelp forest invertebrates, like sea urchins, to eat at the surface. So, when a kelp forest has a healthy population of sea otters, the sea otters prevent sea urchins from munching kelp forests down to urchin barrens. Go otters! Yippee! But, because humans heavily hunted sea otters for their fur in the 17 and 1800s, by the 1920s, sea otters were practically extinct. This decline in sea otters left kelp forests vulnerable. However, through proper management, otter populations are slowly recovering. These conservation efforts play a critical role, not only in saving sea otters themselves, but in protecting the kelp forests that rely on sea otters to maintain this delicate balance that favors the biodiverse kelp forests over desolate urchin barrens. Unfortunately, sea urchins aren't the only challenge afflicting giant kelp these days. Giant kelp is important to people and the planet, so it's important we also protect it from issues facing our environment. Issues such as rising temperatures. Giant kelp doesn't do well in high temperatures, which is why it grows in temperate regions, like we talked about earlier. Scientists saw this heat vulnerability in action during the 2010s, when California's coastal waters were hit by a marine heat wave dubbed the Blob. In 2013, an unusually warm pool of water developed off of the coast of Alaska. It lingered and slowly grew. By the summer of 2014, the warm water stretched from Alaska to Mexico and was nicknamed the Blob. 
Temperatures up to 7 degrees Fahrenheit above normal disrupted marine ecosystems, and by the end of 2015, the blob had caused major disruptions in the marine food chain. One study that collected kelp forest community data in Baja, California before, during, and after the warming event found significant declines in the number of giant kelp individuals as well as declines in growth during the blob. This study also found significant changes in the animals associated with these kelp beds, including that half of the fish and invertebrate species disappeared following the marine heat wave. Half. Moreover, another study found that from 2014 to 2016, along a 200-mile stretch of California coast, the blob wiped out more than 90% of the pre-existing bull kelp, a close relative of giant kelp. This isn't an isolated event either, because more than 95% of Tasmania's giant kelp forests have also disappeared in recent decades. All around the world, kelp forests are disappearing faster than rainforests. And as if these warm waters weren't already enough to really make things rough for giant kelp, the introduction of sea star wasting syndrome really created the perfect storm. Recall that sea otter populations have historically been low due to hunting. Were you wondering how come kelp forests persevered through that time? Turns out sea stars were picking up the slack. Sea stars help control urchin populations in two ways. The first one, much like sea otters, is by eating urchins. Duh. The second is by releasing the urchin's inner fluids into the water when they crunch the urchin's skeletons during consumption. This fluid release sends signals to the other urchins that a predator is near, which scares the other urchins into, the, into submission. So sea stars help kelp both by reducing urchin numbers and by reducing the rate at which urchins come out of hiding to graze, since they can usually sense predators are near. Back to that perfect storm though, in 2013, researchers began to notice massive sea star die-offs. These deaths were a result of sea star wasting syndrome and it affected 20 species of sea stars. Sea star wasting syndrome even pushed the sunflower sea star, a charismatic creature with up to 24 arms, into local extinction. Combined with the blob, which happened simultaneously, and small otter populations due to historical hunting activities, Kelp forests were hit by the perfect storm, and many previously lush underwater forests are now desolate urchin barrens. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Anya, why on God's blue earth would you open my eyes to the wonderful world of kelp and make me fall in love with this amazing amber macroalgae if you were just planning on telling me it's in deep trouble five minutes later? Well, wetlings, that's my new name for all of you listening to this podcast, isn't it better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? Plus, things aren't totally hopeless for giant kelp. First of all, marine scientists at universities, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and non-governmental organizations are all actively monitoring kelp forests to assess their overall health. They visit the same location over and over again to determine if and how kelp forests are changing over time. By doing this, marine scientists can determine whether these changes are due to natural or human causes. With proper knowledge, we can then create effective plans of action to protect this precious resource. These solutions can manifest in many different ways and are tailored to meet each kelp bed's specific needs. But in general, there are two main strategies to restoring kelp beds, assisted recovery and active restoration. Assisted recovery involves either adding an elevated artificial bottom for giant kelp to colonize on, or culling urchins. 
For example, in Bodega Bay, California, divers working with the University of California Davis harvest urchins from the water, which then get fattened up in marine labs and sold to high-end sushi and seafood restaurants. While these efforts alone won't make a significant dent in the urchin population, it keeps divers trained and ready for bigger kelp restoration projects, such as one that's currently going on in Southern California. In SoCal, volunteer divers with LA Water Keepers take a simpler approach to urchin culling. The volunteers simply go out into the water and smash the urchins with a hammer until they're dead. <laughs> this is an example of assisted recovery. Sounds like a great way to get out pent up rage about the climate crisis too. These types of assisted recovery efforts can be helpful, but a review of multiple studies tells us that active restoration tends to have greater success. Active restoration entails transplanting lab-grown giant kelp or transplanting giant kelp from a donor site to the area that scientists plan to restore. In theory, this sounds really simple, but this option is often more expensive due to the complicated process of growing and transplanting lab-grown kelp or needing to rely on having a healthy site to collect kelp from. No matter how scientists go about restoring giant kelp, there are sure to be challenges ahead. But to help giant kelp is to help an entire ocean ecosystem of unique and charismatic sea creatures. A worthy endeavor indeed. There are even ways that you can help kelp from home. If you're looking to join in on the help kelp efforts but don't have time to be a volunteer urchin hammering diver, there are still plenty of ways you can be an active ocean steward. Marine heat waves and sea urchins aren't the only threats facing giant kelp. Kelp is also vulnerable to pollution from land. Runoff from agriculture and urban storm drains carries contaminants that harm giant kelp and help their competitor invasive algae species. You can make a difference by making sure your vehicle isn't dripping oil out onto surface streets where it can be washed into the ocean through storm drains. Make an even bigger impact by checking on your friends' and neighbors' vehicles as well. Another great way to reduce harmful runoff is by keeping litter, pet waste, and garden fertilizers off the streets and away from storm drains. Lastly, supporting local sea otter conservation efforts can really help kelp. As we talked about, healthy sea otter populations are a vital component of healthy kelp forests. Considering that hordes of urchins graze so quickly that they can destroy kelp forests at the rate of 30 feet per month, we better get to work. So, after hearing all that, what do you think of this brown and slimy macroalgae now? Giant kelp is the world's largest species of marine algae, but it is so much more than that. Giant kelp provides a home to thousands of marine creatures and livelihoods to fishermen. It helps buffer the negative effects of climate change, and it offers a great source of recreation for divers. Giant kelp even has a unique chemical composition that makes an important component in products ranging from pharmaceuticals to peanut butter. But if you only take one thing from today's episode, I hope it's that you now know that giant kelp can grow up to 10 inches a day. Thanks for listening. Today's episode was written by me, and everything else was also done by me, editing, producing, cutting, whatnot, and all of today's music is written, composed, performed by Michael Sanchez, and all my sounds are from freesound.com. 
This episode was produced in San Francisco, so sorry if you can hear my neighbors singing along to um, his old-timey rock songs in the background or cars driving by. Recording here has definitely been an adjustment, but super fun, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have 21 citations, which will be available in the show notes. Um, Yeah, thank you. Rockfish especially Rockfish especially Talking is hard, people. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.